who was uh, who was here last Sunday when uh, Brandon spoke on the process of sanctification? Okay, most of us here. Um, I really felt like that was a very timely and profound message. Amen. Um, and I got a lot of feedback from people. Um, about the message, uh, how they felt like it was really applicable for right now, um, and I was very stirred by it. And so what I am going to do this morning, um, I, I was really felt led to talk a bit about community, about the church community in which the process of growth and sanctification, which Brandon described, actually takes place. Because what Brandon talked about, this process of us becoming whole, becoming completely whole, to use the word sozo, becoming healed, the process of sanctification is a vital one for the church. But in order for that process to take place and to happen, it has to happen within the context and if the soil is not ready to accept the seed, um, then the seed will not take root and reap a harvest. So I'm just going to share from the heart this morning um, about the community because I want to talk about who we are. I want to talk about who I am, who you are, and how we live together in community so that we can help one another with this process of sanctification. Is that all okay? Um, I've got, um, I'm going to read you a scripture here. Um, but first, I'm going to show another little picture because I like pictures. Um, take a look at this. Um, kind of appropriate when uh, we're in election season. Um, but here's the guy at the top. Who wants change? Everybody wants change, right? Do you want change? I want change. But who wants to change? Not so many hands raised. Wah, wah, wah. Not so many hands raised. Um, but as we all know, that we're never going to see change collectively unless there is change individually. And that my circumstances are not going to be changed unless I internally change myself. And so we're in a situation where we have to be sober about this. We all know the oft-quoted um, adage that the definition of insanity is to do the same things and expect different results. But if we're going to experience change, such as what Brandon talked about, then it requires that we be ready to actually make changes ourselves. And so I want to talk a little bit about that um, this morning. I'm going to talk about what community is. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26 here. It's going to pop up here. Um, so the Apostle Paul speaking, and here's what he says. He says, but God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body. You know what? The plan of God is that there is no division in the body. That there's no division, there's nothing separating you and I. That, and he's talking about the body of Christ, which is global, that there would not be schisms, that there would not be division within God's church. That is his heart, um, and that is what we're moving towards. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That is what we are highlighting this morning. Other translations say that we, have, that we may have the same concern for one another. But that the members of the body may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 
Let's talk a bit about connection. I, uh, I remember uh, back when I was in uh, the city of Bath in England, uh, I was on the greeters team. Um, we had a lot of students that uh, visited different universities in the city of Bath and would come and visit the church. Um, and so we had a, a particular like, division of our greeters team that was assigned to kind of seek out students and to welcome them. A lot of people came from different countries. Um, and so I remember on one Sunday morning, I was, uh, I was on the greeters team, and I had spotted a couple of people that I thought, I don't recognize these people. I'm going to go over and say hi to them and greet them. So I approached one young man, and I put on my smile, and I said, hello, I'm Jeremy. Welcome to Bar City Church. Um, what's your name? And he looked at me, and he said, why? Um, and so... <laughs> Initially, I was a little bit taken aback and kind of laughed it off. And I was like, yeah, um, oh, uh, what's your name? And he looked at me and he said, why? Um, and I'm thinking in my head, dude, what the heck? I'm just trying to be friendly here. What, what's your problem? I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to get to know you. So I thought I would soldier on. And I said, you know, I said again, hey, what, what's your name? He looked at me again and he said, Why? And I'm like, dude, I just want to know your name. I'm trying to be friendly. I told you, my name is Jeremy. I'm just asking what your name is. You know, I, I'm not wanting to cause any offense. And he said to me, my name is Y. And, and I was like, now it all makes sense. This poor guy probably has no friends because he's unable to really make a connection because a name which is probably common in his culture, he was a foreign student, um, means something completely different to me. And it meant that he's going to instantly cause offense whenever he tries to make a connection to somebody in a Western English-speaking culture. But it highlighted to me the importance of connection and how over relatively simple things, we can find that we are not well connected to people. And that the will of God for you and me, as we are part of this church family together, is that we would be well connected. We just read the um, passage there where Paul makes an analogy about the church of God being a body. He goes into a great amount of detail about how the different members of the body connect to one another. So I here am connected to Don. I'm connected to Andrew. Andrew provides a supply of things which I need, things which are life to me. And I equally am equipped to provide a supply to him. So that as the two of us are joined together, this body would be well supplied and it would work well. But there are many things that mitigate against this process and that they can prevent me from receiving life well, me from actually giving life well, and they can ultimately cause a division that Paul speaks about within the body. And we need to ensure that we are careful for that not to happen. And I want to talk today about community and about connections, um, and I think some of the things which are really highlighted in this time and season for us to be well connected. I'm going to talk from my heart here, um, and I, I want to talk about 
how we can be well connected. I feel, as I'm listening to Brandon last week, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm listening to the process he described about leaving baggage behind, about walking with brothers, about being, having people help him become more like Christ. I was in a conversation with Stephen Thomas in the week, and he said to me, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if the church of God was a place where people knew that if they came here, they would never feel shame, they would never feel judged for who they are, they would never feel judged by what sin they may have committed, but they would feel accepted, they would feel that everybody would join and combine with them to help them become who Christ wants them to be. I believe the church is supposed to be that place. It is supposed to be a place where there is no shame, where we don't hide from things, where we don't have sins that we're not prepared to talk about, that we don't judge one thing more severely than the other. I believe that that's what the church is supposed to be. And I believe we're going to get there. Let's go ahead and read a passage here in James. So this is James. He was a brother of Jesus. Um, so he, he knew a thing or two. Um, and uh, he's writing here, just giving some instructions for life in the community. And there's, there are, there's a, a process of this life which I want to highlight here. We're going to read through what um, James says here. So he says, is anyone, of, anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Pretty straightforward, right? Is anyone uh, among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. I want to highlight a series of five things out of this passage here. Now, if I'm a believer, I have a certain responsibility. There are things that I need to do. And so one of the first things that we read from the passage, um, if we can go to the next slide, Christina, is number one, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. So one of the first things which I learn if I'm going through a time of challenge, is that I have a personal responsibility. There is something that I must do. I don't automatically expect somebody else to come into my situation and solve my problem for me. We'll get to partnering with other people yet. But if I'm in a time of trial, I have a responsibility. I have a vertical responsibility to God that I must pray. Um, likewise, if I'm cheerful, so if, I'm, if things have been going well, if... I'm experiencing the, the, the goodness of God, then I am to sing praises. So this is why in the middle of worship, I had people come and um, pray prayers of thanksgiving. Because something happens when we are prepared to say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for doing this. So we have a vertical responsibility that there are things which I must look to God for and take care of myself. But equally... In point three, he is anyone among you sick. Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him. There is a principle which I feel this element thing of, of, of the church has been somewhat lost, particularly within our Western society. 
where we get the idea of I will look to God, I will take care of myself, I will take responsibility for certain things, but that place where we come on the horizontal to go ahead and partner with someone else to have them join with us to overcome that that principle is often lost. James says that if anyone is sick, then he's to go to the elders of the church and they are to pray over him. And then he goes on to say, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I think we have that um, on one of the slides here. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. When's the last time you confessed a sin to one another and it wasn't your wife or your husband? <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll make that rhetorical. Yeah, that was only rhetorical. You don't want to have to raise the hands there. But this is something, and we're going to look at some, some, uh, some characters in the Bible here that we struggle with as a church and particularly in Western society. There is a place of openness and vulnerability that must be in my life that without which there is a healing and a freedom that I am not going to experience. If I'm not prepared to talk to Stephen here when there is something which is holding me back, which is sapping life from me, preventing me from being that life-giving part of the body, if I'm not prepared to go to my brother and say, will you help me with this? Then the healing which James talks about is something which I may never likely be able to experience. James goes on to say that if any, one of, that any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There is such power in this principle of being able to relate horizontally with our brothers and sisters in this process of overcoming sin, of becoming sanctified, that we, will, we have the ability to save one another from death if we are able to live in the reality of what James teaches. Is that something we want to live in, folks? I believe it is. So let's talk about this a little bit, and then I'm going to look at the life of um, David and Jonathan. So what is it that prevents what I've just described from happening? Let's go ahead and read in Genesis 3, um, which is, the f this is the very first occasion that we see sin setting in. And this is the account of what happens with Adam and Eve after they have sinned and after they've eaten of the fruit which they shouldn't. And it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then... The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Of course, he knew where he was. But God wanted man to know that he was separated and was hiding. He said to him, where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. God goes on to question him about what he's done. He then, of course, says, the woman that you gave me, she was the one that gave me the fruit, and that's why I ate it. And we see the very beginning here of shame. Shame is what keeps us from being vulnerable, from being transparent, from being open. Shame, the first thing that shame will do is shame blames. If you're having a challenge in your life and you find yourself attributing the cause of that challenge or that sin or that error to somebody else, then you're probably operating in shame. Because what Adam actually said when God questioned him about what he had done is he said that it was the woman. So we normally think like Adam blames the woman. But he says, it was the woman you gave me. So if you hadn't given me this woman, I wouldn't have sinned. Ultimately, he's blaming God. The first thing that shame will do is shame will blame. The second thing that shame will do, it will try to cover up what must be uncovered. What God ended up doing and what he wanted to do is to bring Adam to himself to take care of the sin which Adam had committed. But shame, first of all, caused Adam to run and hide. And the first thing they did is try to cover their shame. Shame will try and cover up what needs to be uncovered. The, the saddest thing for me when I spend time and I talk with people that may have been struggling th with things for years and years and decades is that often I can see people come into complete freedom and healing in a matter of hours, days, or weeks from something that they have <laughs> kept covered up for 20 years. And God wants for me and you to be able to run to him and to run to one another so shame never has the opportunity to cover up what we, what we have done. Shame runs away from the one that we need to run to the most. Obviously, the one person that Adam and Eve needed the most was the one that they ran from at that time, that was God. Thankfully, God was there in the garden calling out to them that they realized they were, they were lost. Um, but this pattern of shame is something which keeps us from staying connected to one another. And what we need to do is be able to transform this process so we're not just saying, I have a responsibility to me and God, but I also have a responsibility to my brother and my sister, that going back to the original passage, that, that the members of the body would have the same care, the same concern for one another. And through my concern and partnership with you and yours with mine, through the vulnerability we have together, we would be able to be free 
We'd be whole, we would be sanctified, we would be conformed to the image of Christ, and we would together lock arms and run forward into God's destiny for, for all of us. So a shift is needed here that we recognize that we have an obligation to our brothers and our sisters. We have an obligation to be transparent. We have an obligation to be vulnerable. We have an obligation to care for one another, to not judge, to not, to not bring on shame, but to bring freedom in its place. And I want to take just a, a brief five or ten minutes and look at how this is fleshed out and how we can emulate this principle together within the church. I want to look briefly at Jonathan and David here. Obviously, Jonathan and David is an amazing, amazing uh, relationship here. We know David. We love him. He was a man after God's own heart. And he had a special relationship with uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. And we're going to read about it uh, briefly here. But it's interesting. You know, he later said of his relationship with Jonathan, he said that he had a love for him. So we're talking about a, a Christ-like love, a love, which is, um, a love which is sacrificial, a love which is there to always do the best by somebody else, regardless of what they do to you, a love which uh, is a commitment which is without end, is not dependent upon what the other person does. He had a love, David had a love for Jonathan, he said, that was exceeded the love of a woman. And let me tell you, David knew about that. He'd been around the block a few times. Um, so, so there is something in this relationship that he had with Jonathan that was so profound and so special, it's a model for the type of relationships that we should have with one another the type of relationship that I should have with you guys in the church, the relationship that you women should have with each other in the church, and us together is exemplified in the relationship with David. Let's look at it quickly here. We're going to turn to 1 Samuel 18 and verse 1. Um, this was after David had killed Goliath, right afterwards. Um, Jonathan was, um, ver was almost certainly much older than David. Um, he had <clears throat> fought many battles before this occasion. David, as we know here, was about 17. Um, uh, Jonathan was already a warrior. He'd been around for a while in battle. So he was older than this teenage boy. But <clears throat> the Bible says this, that right after the, he was talking with Saul after having killed Goliath, it says this, now it came about. When he, that's David, finished speaking with Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. I believe that the inception of this relationship, this amazing, powerful relationship, was one that was based on vision. I believe that as Jonathan saw and observed how this young boy came into Saul's presence with such a conviction and such a faith towards God that he refused the armor of Saul, that as he went out, as he spoke what he was going to do, as he took down Goliath, and as, they, as he pursued the Philistines, that 
as, as Jonathan observed this, he saw something in David to do with vision and purpose. And he said within himself, that is something that I want to follow for the rest of my life. And at that point, we see that his soul, I love this image here, was knitted. It's like it was joined together with the soul of David. And that was something that lasted up until his death. I believe that this type of connection is one which God has for you and I in the church. That united towards a vision and a common goal, that we would be able to have a love and a care for one another, to look out for one another on that horizontal level, just like we see Jonathan did for David here. That's something that God has for us within the body here. So point number two, Jonathan, he then, we read that he made a covenant with David. He made a commitment to David. Now, a covenant is not something which is dependent upon the actions of the other person. It was something dependent solely upon your actions. When, when you made a covenant, then you're making a decision. I am going to choose to do these things in perpetuity, and I'm going to commit to you regardless of what you do. That's a covenant. So I'm, I've made two covenants in my life. I've made a covenant to God, and I've made a covenant to my wife where I made a decision believing in the power of God, empowered by God, that I will remain true and faithful to my wife regardless of anything else. It's not dependent upon her behavior to me. It's dependent upon my conviction and faith towards God in what he has, he has caused marriage to be. So for me, that's a tremendous release of pressure. True covenant brings things to a very simple place and releases you of pressure. Because if you're covenanting to someone based upon who God is and what God has said, then it doesn't matter what the other person does. My confidence in being able to be a good husband is not based on Diana's ability to be a good wife. It's based on, on God's ability to make me a good husband. Does that make sense? And so within the church here, my commitment to any one of us here in the church is based upon my conviction on who God is and who we are and not on somebody's actions. But I believe these type of covenant relationships where we will do right and do good by one another regardless of what that person is doing is a mainstay of a well-connected, healthy body. And so Jonathan made a covenant with David and he committed to him not dependent upon who David was. So here's the big thing, um, point number three here. David removed his armor. I'm sorry, Saul removed, uh, Saul, did not enough coffee, obviously, to go back to that giant <laughs> cup. So Jonathan removed his armor. Let's read about this. Um, just a couple of verses on. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. He removed his armor and made, him vulnerable, made himself vulnerable before David, made himself transparent, and was before him and basically said, I, whatever I am, you are seeing. I don't, need to, I don't need to ever protect myself from you. I don't need to 
hide myself from you. I don't need to be ready to come on the offensive with you. But you are going to see all of me. I'm going to be open and transparent with you. Who I am, you're going to see. And I will have no armor. I'm not going to cover myself and protect myself in my relationship with you. Let me ask you this. Can you lay down your armor with your brother and your sister? Can you let them see all of you, everything that is within? Will you let them see your thoughts? Will you let them see your goals, your dreams, your vision? Will you let them see your challenges? Will you let them see you without the defenses, without the armor, without the swords? Can we be in that place with one another? Because I believe if we can, something powerful will happen. What happens right, right after this is that Jonathan ended up saving David's life, basically. Um, we read in uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 19 and verse 2 that we know about Saul. He obviously had an a evil spirit. He was motivated out of jealousy. He could never let it go. He was never secure in who he was in Christ. And so he was, but for that reason, he was always taken up with jealousy. And so Saul then set about to kill David. And this is what Jonathan said to him. He says, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. He then said, I will speak to him about you and tell you what I find out. And that he did. And so Saul listened to Jonathan. This is after he had basically said to the army, go and kill David. He listened to Jonathan and he then took an oath. Saul even took an oath. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. The outcome of this covenant relationship and this vulnerability and this transparency was that from this, Saul actually literally saved David's life. He went before his brother and he took out an obstacle and a trap that would have ended up killing him. Such was his joining and his connection and his transparency with his brother David. Now, in these times, the battle was against flesh and blood. But for you and I today, it's not against flesh and blood. We don't war against principalities and powers. It's not likely that for one of you, you'll ever have the opportunity to save my life. It may happen um, from marauding bandits, but it's not very likely. But what we see here is a picture that translates into the new covenant in that we are in a war and we do fight battles, but they're not against flesh and blood. And I have the ability to intervene and to help remove the obstacles, to take out an enemy, to intervene in an enemy, to prevent an enemy from taking you down. You have the ability to come in and intervene so that an enemy doesn't take me down. And that is what we are called to. And so the type of relationships which, which we are 
going for within the church are the ones which are transparent, are without armor, where we're able to be open and honest and real with one another, and where we're able to remove the obstacles and the pitfalls that would be in one another's ways. And I just want to encourage you that we're in a season now where as we grow in God, where as we continue on this process of sanctification, which Brandon began talking about last week, that for us to move forward together, it requires a horizontal connection and transparency with one another where we can be real, where we can fight together, we can fight for one another, and we have that tight connection. I remember one time when I was a teenager and I was beginning to get a revelation on this type of thing. I had a kind of a comical event take place, which I may have shared this before with a couple of people, um, which proved to be a real stumbling block for me. Um, But I was out with a group of friends one evening, and then we were accosted by a group of rowdy men um, who were drunk, um, who wanted to pick a fight. And I was, I don't know, 16, 17, and I had just bought this leather biker's jacket. So this was, I don't know, back in, when was it, late 80s? Um, And so I had my Levi's jeans, my Levi's 501s. I think I was wearing Doc Martens at the time because that was the first time around when they were cool. And then I had bought this leather biker's jacket from a guy who was a biker. It was so legit. It was awesome. Um, it was used, it was, it was like really worn, because of course you can't have a leather jacket which is not worn, um, and it just looked amazing, I loved this thing, I'd saved up for it, and I couldn't reproduce it, it was a genuine like 20 year old leather biker's jacket, and in this process of the scuffle, these guys, they just attacked us, and my jacket was um, like over, draped over a chair, where we were, and one of them took my jacket and stole it. And I was just gutted about this. I was just broken up about this whole thing. I was really frustrated. Um, And time went on, and someone preached a message about forgiveness. And I recognized that I was harboring resentment towards this man who stole my jacket. And I, I realized that this bitterness towards him was actually really hurting me. It was having zero effect on him, none whatsoever. And so with much effort, I recognized I needed to forgive this man for what he'd done because I had been forgiven of far worse than stealing somebody's jacket. And so I went through that prayer, and I, and I forgave this guy, and, and I kind of moved on, and I thought I was done with this process. Two or three weeks went by, and I was on the bus going to uh, college, and we were coming down a hill, I was getting ready to stop at a bus stop, and I was just looking out the window, and there at the bus stop, I saw this young man wearing my leather jacket. 
And at that moment, I realized I was not walking in forgiveness. <laughs> but what could I do? I couldn't, I couldn't, no, I could have jumped in, says Don. That's the Italian coming out there. Let's just, let's just let the spirit rise, the, the Italian. Let's push down that Italian spirit. Um, <laughs> so I said to myself, I feel like I came to God. I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, but I'm not, I'm not getting through this. And this is eating me up. And so I decided that I would go to a good friend of mine because I needed help beyond what I was able to do to help myself. Sometimes you need someone to help you to help yourself. And unless you go to them, you are not going to be able to do it. And I sought out a good friend of mine, and I opened up to him about the situation. And I said, will you help me with this? Because I'm not getting over this. And he was awesome. He talked with me. He prayed with me. And then we prayed together, and he helped me settle this. He helped bring an objective spiritual insight into the situation which I couldn't see in my blind spot and in my own weakness and humanity. And he helped free me from a bond of unforgiveness and resentment that could have held me back for a long time. And I know this sounds like a small thing. We're talking about an item of clothing. But I think we need to understand that when we start hanging bitterness on that chain, we then begin to hang other things on it and other things on it. And before we know it, we're dragging this huge thing around. And whatever it is, we have to get rid of it. But unless I had a friend who was a brother close to me who could help me overcome this thing, if I didn't go to him horizontally after I had gone to God, I don't believe I would have been free from that and I would have probably carried much bitterness and resentment from that point on. Because let me tell you this, if you live in life, you will have no end of opportunity to walk in unforgiveness and bitterness. But I needed that friend. I needed that connection. I needed that brother. And I realized I have to be that brother to other brothers too. And among the group of friends I had, we started a pattern where we would be real We would be real with one another. We would tell each other what was going on in our lives because we knew that if we went through this together, we would come through it. And out of that process, there were people that fell off during the way. There were people that did not walk with the Lord. But I have friends and brothers who are walking strong in God now. Why? Because we join together, united on a vision to follow God and to be like Christ, we went arm in arm, we supported one another, we opened our hearts, we made ourselves vulnerable, we lived life together, we pushed off the shame, we didn't judge. Our goal was to see people come forward and be delivered. And those are friends I still have to this day. And I believe for us in the church today, we need to have those friends and we need to be those friends. Let's pray, shall we? Stephen, would you come on up here and pray for us as we close? Lord, thank you that you don't want us to be lonely. 
Um, thank you that you want us completely whole. Thank you, God, that you want us to experience life in our minds and our emotions and our relationships and our bodies, God. You care about every part of us. Lord, I thank you that you're removing shame so that we can come out of hiding. And I pray right now that you release like a safety, just release a special grace, Father, for us as we grow in this, as we learn to be open with one another. Help us to not judge one another. Help us to uh, not feel like we have to be perfect. Thank you for giving us permission to not fake it and pretend that we're perfect anymore, Lord. Thank you for that, God. You're so good. You're so kind. You're so kind, Lord. I pray, Father, that that would fall on us, that we would just know your kindness. Thank you, God, that we don't have to perform anymore. Thank you, God, that you're so good to us. Lord, thank you, God, that you're turning us into a safe place, Father, that we're experiencing that as a body, that we're going to grow, that we're going to become a safe place for one another, Father, and we're going to be able to export that to the world. Father, thank you, God, that we're going to be able to export love, forgiveness, and, and real transformation, transparency, Father. Thank you that you're, you're giving us that, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that light wins. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that when we confess to one another, you heal us. Thank you that there's power in the light. Thank you that when we stay in light, you win. Thank you, God, that's your word, that we win, Father, that there's nothing we can't overcome. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you give us gentleness, Father. Give us a spirit of gentleness, Father, as we're learning this, as we're learning to be more open with one another. Lord, make us so secure in our identity as sons and daughters that we know that we don't have to be perfect, that we know that we are on a journey, that we are in relationship with you. Father, may we experience that with one another. May we not be lonely anymore. May we know your love, Father, and may we experience that with one another. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Amen. Church, this is a judgment-free zone. Put your hand on your heart and say this. In the name of Jesus, I reject shame in my life. You have no power over me. I do not yield to you. I am an open vessel for God to fill me and use me. Amen.